Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to my Victorious Souls podcast live interview today. I have the joy of bringing you a lovely lady named Carrie Rickard. And she is a coach. She is a trauma survivor. And she's going to be sharing her story of how she journeyed through a traumatic brain injury. So I will bring her in here, but not not just the traumatic brain injury, but also depression. I didn't want to forget that. I almost forgot that. Depression on top of that. I mean, a traumatic brain injury is, I I had someone on podcast recently with that already, but it's it's a big deal. And I'm just thrilled to bring her out here. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. And bringing Carrie out here to share her story of journeying through that traumatic brain injury. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you for being on the podcast with me. Oh, Danielle, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I told them that you you had a traumatic brain injury, you're a coach, and uh, how you journeyed through not just the injury, but depression, but what was your life like before this turn of events in your life? Sure. Um, So I will take you back to just before the accident. So I was working, I was living on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. I was working in Baltimore. Um, 60 plus hours a week. I had two kids, eight and four. um, And I was newly separated from my then husband. Um, So the kids and I had just moved into a new condo and were, you know, we were trying to figure out the whole custody arrangements and all that stuff. And I'm working a ton and I've got one kid in daycare and one kid in elementary school. And so Life was chaos, as you can imagine. That um, sounds like it. <laughs> and and then um, on the day of the accident, um, we were. It, it was uh, I was at a at work, and we were going to a lunch, um, like a team lunch kind of thing, an activity because we had been packing up the office to then move it move offices so to like kind of celebrate that I guess we were going to an activity and to to lunch and um a co-worker of mine and I um decided to ride together I was driving um 
and it was raining very hard. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't remember any of this at all. The last thing I remember actually is the ride down the elevator um, from the office to my car. I I remember nothing else of this. Um, But I've put together the pieces here and there, right? (laughs) So, um, So Emily and I got in the car and we were driving and we exited off of 95 onto 100 and it was like torrential downpours wow. and um there was a tractor trailer parked on the um on the shoulder and I hydroplaned into the back of that tractor trailer so um both Emily and I were injured um Emily broke both of her arms she had a um four-month-old baby at the time um and then my so evidently it took like a half an hour 45 minutes for them to get us out of the car they couldn't take take us to the hospital via helicopter because of the weather um but they took me to university of maryland shock trauma they they took emily there as well um and that shock trauma like i remember waking up or however it happened that I was like aware of things happening. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, this seems like the right place for me to be right now. (laughs) I don't know why I wasn't scared. I don't know why I didn't. I mean, I was surrounded by people that I knew and loved. So, you know, I think probably that abated the fear a little bit I I also didn't really understand what was going on um so it turned out that I had basically just crushed my left hand um and so that had to be completely reconstructed I had um I'd broken every bone in my face um they weren't displaced so I didn't look my mom says I looked horrible, but I didn't look like, you know, like it wasn't like um, I, they all healed really nicely, uh, but like broken jaw, broken, um, you know, I, the, my eye sockets, like everything was broken. Um, I damaged my left ear. So I have no more hearing in my left ear and that is permanent. That will be with me forever um and I my left vocal cord was paralyzed fortunately that has has been fixed or just healed over time um and I had a traumatic brain injury and along with the brain injury I ended up having an aneurysm um around my brain stem so I had some pretty major catastrophic things going on. So it was pretty touch and go there for a while. Um, I couldn't speak well because of my vocal cord. Um, So it was hard to communicate, but it wasn't actually, like it didn't have a whole lot of cognitive dysfunction. I mean, like I I had problems remembering words and, you know, processing things a little bit slower. But for the most part, I was able to communicate. I could write. I I mean, unfortunately, it was my left hand, not my writing hand. And um, 
you know, I was lucky in a lot of ways, but um, so I ended up getting four stents in my left carotid artery because I had damaged my carotid. Um, it, the aneurysm repair was a 10 hour surgery. Oh. Um, and the absolute longest you can be under radiation at one time. Um, so, so that was fun, <laughs> but I remember the doctor coming in and this was all like over a couple of weeks that, that all of these things and surgeries and everything happened. They didn't happen all at once. The first thing they did was put a drain in my head and to reduce the swelling, then they could see what was actually going on. So, um, the doctor came in to talk to me and, and I credit Dr. Jindal with saving my life multiple times. Um, but he came in and he said, you know, Carrie, you have this aneurysm and it's growing very quickly. Like we need to fix it. And I'm like, okay, so tell me what, so what's going to happen in the surgery? And he's like, well, there's a really high chance you could have a stroke and never be the same. And I said, okay, so what happens if I don't have the surgery? And he said, oh, you'll die. And I'm like, looks like you're gonna have to do a really good job on this surgery and fix me up. <laughs> and this poor man, I, God love him. I still see him um, for follow-up appointments. I joke when I feel uncomfortable and he, <laughs> didn't quite get that. So like, he was like, and I'm like, better fix me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I, I'm going to work my hardest. I'm like, yeah, I know. But, and he did. I mean, my goodness, he, I, I was so very fortunate where my accident was located that I got to go to University of Maryland Shock Trauma because it is one of the best trauma hospitals around. And that the doctors who are the best of the best choose to practice a trauma. Um, you know, because I got to see those doctors. My orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Penzi, was absolutely amazing. I mean, my hair hand is functional. I can type. Um, you know, I still have trouble with things like zippers and like string cheese <laughs> opening packages. But other than that, I mean, like nobody expected me to have a functioning left hand. Um, no one expected me to be mostly the same after the aneurysm surgery. And beside the, besides the one incident of, um, Turns out I'm allergic to Haldol and it makes me hallucinate. So like I was speaking quite nonsense when I came out of that surgery. So everybody was terrified that um, I had had a stroke. Um, and I may have had like a minor one, but it was um, like nothing was catastrophic. And once they realized it was the medication and stopped giving me that medication, I started communicating again. Like and, and, you know, then I started acute therapy. So I did speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Um, you know, I, I was also lucky enough, my lower body was not damaged. So I was able, I mean, 
minus some balance issues, um, which physical therapy helped with, um, I was able to basically get around. Um, I had a big neck brace on, my arm was all like casted up and I had these crazy hooks, like metal hooks on the ends of my fingers because they had put metal pieces like down the fingers. And I, I remember saying to my surgeon, I'm like, Dr. Penzi, I have paper clips on the ends of my hands. Like it looked like bent paper clips, you know, like as you open them up, it was like the hooks look like paper clips. He's like, those are really expensive paper clips, Carrie. <laughs> that like, makes me think of that the Marvel character. I think it's Wolverine who has the yes, claws coming yes, out. So yes, you you yeah. were like a superhero. <laughs> it, it was kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> um so you know, I spent four weeks in shock trauma. And my mom stayed with me the entire time, except the like couple of nights that my brother forced her to go home. Um, and he's like, I'll stay. It's fine. You go home, you sleep. And she only actually went as far as his house because her house was an hour further. And she's like, I can't go all the way home. <laughs> um, but she was there. I mean, she slept in a chair for a month. Um, and my mom is a retired nurse, so she did ICU and rehab. So she at least knew the lay of the land. She understood what the doctors were saying. She could advocate for me better than anyone else. And right. Cause that's and, a very familiar setting for her. So right. wow, that, that was quite advantageous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was super lucky too, because, you know, my ex-husband and I were not yet divorced. So he had power of attorney over me and he signed that away to my mom, um, which was absolutely wonderful because he knew that he shouldn't be the one making those decisions and that my mom was best suited to that. And um, so I'm, I'm eternally grateful yeah. to him for that. And for, you know, for he and his family really picking up the slack and taking care of the kids because I was in the hospital for six weeks. Um, you know, there wasn't there there wasn't a whole lot I could do there. But my mom does laugh at me still because, like, she's like, when you woke up in the hospital, you're like, don't forget to tell Steve Simon has Boy Scouts and Ali has dance, and she's like, how do you even know this? I'm like, isn't it such and such day? <laughs> she's like you're not wrong. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was that in itself was an adventure, just like, you know, going from being a newly single person with two kids to being surrounded by people constantly, you know, it was like, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Um, you know, I, I wanted to work really hard in my therapies because I wanted to get home to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, I worked really hard. The um, occupational therapists and the um, speech therapists, they would give me all these exercises and I'd be like, okay, give me more, come back, give me more. <laughs> and, you know, they would say things like, most of our patients don't do this because a lot of people who have a brain injury get very depressed. Um, 
because they don't see a way out or a way better, you know? Um, and I am one of those people who never actually thought that there wasn't a way out. Like I was like, I am going to get better. Like it never occurred to me that I wasn't going to get better, that I wasn't going to be able to take care of my children in the way that I always have to go back to work, to do all the things that I've enjoyed doing and felt fulfilled with. Um, yeah, you had that so, warrior mindset is what I call it, that you're I, like, no, this is what we're doing. And yeah, story. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just didn't occur to me. And so it, it's interesting because I feel like I was bolstered so much by my family and friends. My friend Tara came Monday through Thursday and sat in the, or Sunday through Thursday and sat in the hospital with me in the evening so that my mom could go take a break and have some dinner and my dad could come up and they could, you know, spend some time together, things like that. Um, I had friends from near and far coming to see me. I like, it was a, it was crazy how many people I'm like wow I didn't even know I knew all these people <laughs> I mean obviously I knew them but like you know when you when you don't really take stock of all the people in your life and all of the support that is available being confronted with that is is humbling you know it was a beautiful thing to know that I was so loved and supported um, my mom did Caring Bridge posts, um, which if people don't know what that is, it's like a journal kind of thing so that friends and family can know what's going on without the immediate family having to call everyone and explain it. So my mom would post something every single day about my progress. And I mean, I had people in Ireland, I had people in England, I had, you know, like I had people everywhere imaginable praying for me and thinking about me and you know sending me good vibes and evidently it worked so i so you know i'm, I'm really lucky that i had all of that support um even you know like even my brother's friends that i used to babysit they sent food to my family they did i mean like everybody did something for me or for my family and it was just just lovely so i you know crazy to think about all of it and that it was nine years ago now <laughs> yeah nothing like a crisis to illuminate the depths of your relationships and the type of relationships that you have and your light. It just makes you see everything different and then how people respond. Did you have people in your life that didn't respond or were afraid to do anything? I did. I did. And um, I this one friend of mine, I remember like a couple of years later, I ran into her and then we ended up having coffee and she said to me and she's like I'm so sorry that I have not contacted you she's like I should have and I was afraid and so it was 
I did not hold that against her at all. What was she afraid of? Did she elaborate? I think on what she, she just was didn't of? know what to say or what to do. And she didn't know how well I was functioning. And, you know, like it, we were friends, but we were friends because our kids went to the same preschool together. Mm -hmm. So like, and, and then we became friends, but, you know, she, we always had really interesting, intelligent conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I think her fear was that I couldn't have those kinds of conversations with her anymore. And I think she was afraid to find out. And I don't blame her for that at all. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I was, I have never been in the reverse situation. So I don't know. I mean, now I know what I would do, but back before my accident, I don't, I don't know how I would have responded to that. Right. Yeah. So what do you think was the oh, two, two questions I'm going to throw out okay. there. Two pronged question of what do you think is the most important kind of support that someone can give if they have a friend okay. going through something like that? And what was the most creative thing someone did to help you? So I think, let's see, the kind of help, um, just reaching out and saying hi. I mean, like I had people I hadn't seen in 10, 15 years reaching out saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. Because at this particular time, you know, I, I'm still in the hospital. There isn't a whole lot anyone could do for me mm -hmm. there. You know, like, I mean, my mom was there all the time. But like, I, for the most part, you know, I wasn't getting a ton of visitors because it was overwhelming. And I had a very, very packed day with therapies and they <laughs> exhausted me, mm -hmm. you know, like I would have to take a nap and then go back to therapy. You know, it was, <laughs> it, it was exhausting healing from all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, at that particular time, it was, just reaching out or remembering something that I loved as a kid or, you know, even five years ago and sending it to me, you know, like my friend, Jamie, um, who I went to high school with, she had been in Massachusetts. She lived in Massachusetts during my accident. She hand knitted me a scarf and sent it to me. And she's like, I've been thinking about you the entire time I have been knitting this. This is, you know, it basically it was a scarf filled with good thoughts, you know, like and, yeah. and healing prayers. And so that was completely lovely. Um, the people who could visit me visited me. Um, just that connection piece, mm -hmm. I think, was the most important to me. Um, you know, once I got, so after shock trauma, I went to rehab. So then my days of rehab were even busier. Um, I spent about two weeks there. Um, and then I came home. And when I came home, I turns out that when you have a traumatic brain injury, you, um, they, they take away your driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that made it really difficult to do anything at all. Um, so I had to go get retested for my driver's license. And in the meantime, I mean, I still had my arm all like casted up and they still had to take some things out and put some more things in. And um, I still had the neck brace on. I was only eating soft foods at this point because I still couldn't swallow things well because of my vocal cords. Um, and so my parents moved in with me and the kids. Um, so I went back to having my kids 60% of the time because we were a 60-40 split at that point. And um, I went back to having the kids 60% of the time and my parents took care of all three of us. You know. Um, they they moved in for two and a half months until I could be retested and get a new car because of course I totaled that one that I hydroplaned into the back of the truck trailer with. <laughs> so um you know and I remember when my parents were there. So my parents come with stuff like they always have a lot of things and we lived in a three-bedroom condo which was fine like it was plenty of space for the two kids and I but then you mm -hmm. add in my parents and there's a whole nother layer of stuff so I remember mm -hmm. feeling like this isn't even my home anymore like there's <laughs> other people's things all over the place and I can't give my daughter a bath because I mean, to be honest, I couldn't even give myself a bath at that point. So like my mom had to get in the shower with me because of my arm and, and, you know, I had to keep my head stable. So, you know, I always appreciate how they stopped their lives for me. They were actually on their way to a trip when they got the call about my accident. So they didn't hesitate to stop their lives and move in with me and the kids for two and a half months. And I was so ready for them to go when they left. Like I was so ready. I, cause I, it was hard not to be resentful of needing that kind of help when I have always been incredibly independent and always done everything I mean like I always say I was born an adult you know like <laughs> nobody really had to take care of me I just kind of like okay I'm I'm gonna do this because your pace is way slower than mine I'm gonna I'm, I'm just gonna take care of this and to be forced to rest a lot and to have other people take care of me when all I wanted was to get back to my old life mm. was really, really hard. Um, yeah, it had to and, be humbling, humbling that, I mean, your mom in the shower with you, I just can't even imagine oh, how humbling that would be. Terrible. Um, it, it was actually worse at the hospital, at least like my shower at home had a little more space. <laughs> but like I had to get a shower chair because I couldn't 
stand up in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, my balance was off and, and we had to make sure everything was stable and we had to cover my arm in plastic. Like it was a, everything was a thing. And yeah. I'm not really good, or at least I wasn't at the time, good at when everything is like dramatic. I, like, I'm like, can we just get this done and get back to what we were doing before? And was it when you um, got home from the hospital where you started wrestling with depression or did that start in the hospital too? You mentioned people with traumatic so, brain injuries tend to have depression, but that yes. was part of your story also that you dealt with depression on top of this great thankfulness for your parents and, yeah, and yeah. Co- coinciding with the resentment because I don't want to need them doing all this wonderful right. stuff for me that I'm thankful, but so, so where did the also depression like, come uh, I'm not <laughs> thankful that I have to have them. Right. <laughs> do this right um so I have struggled with depression on and off um since high school mm-hmm. weirdly in the hospital I did not like depression was not a thing for me like I was I think I looked at it as this is the place I need to be in order to get better and because I knew my kids were safe and I had family and friends surrounding me, I could focus 100% of the time on getting better. Like I didn't usually in my real life, right? Because that wasn't real life. <laughs> I mean, it was, but not, um, you know, I, I had so many things going that not everything got full attention Mm -hmm. or, you know, like one thing got full attention and then I'd switch to the next thing. And like, um, but in the hospital, when I was still in acute trauma, I wasn't leaving the hospital. Like I couldn't do anything but get better and doing my therapies and pushing myself in that way just meant I could leave sooner, right? So I focused 100%. I was all in on getting better and getting to the next place and then getting home. And then I think when I got home, it was like, oh, you mean I still have to rest and stuff? We're not done yet. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not healed, I'm not good. I I feel like I should be good. So I even tried. So once my parents left and I got my driver's license back and all of that, um, I tried to go back to work. Um, And that lasted for about a week and a half. Um, You know, like every single day I would lose my car in the parking garage and I pretty much parked in the same spot every day so that I wouldn't lose my car. And yet I lost my car every day. Um, I would come home and I'd be so exhausted, like not just like physically tired, like my brain was tired and I didn't really even do anything at work because like, it was still this whole like, Oh my God, Carrie's back. So it was like this whole, like, tell me all about it kind of thing, you know, like, um, so 
like after a week and a half, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't function this way. I can't give you what you need for my role. I can't fulfill that right now. I may be able to at some point, but right now I definitely can't. And I certainly can't take care of my kids if I'm trying so hard to do this. So like something's got to give and my kids aren't going anywhere. So I'm <laughs> going to just go back home. So that was really hard for me. That was really hard for me because I found purpose in work. Um, I was good at work. Um, you know, like I, for the most part, that was where I had sure footing, right? Mm -hmm. And to realize that I couldn't do that and I didn't know when I would be able to mm -hmm. was really hard. Um, yeah, like in the hospital, you had focusing on getting better and getting home. So you had a exactly. good hard focus. There was a goal. And, and then when right. you got home, then your parents were there and you were working really hard on getting back to work. But then when you right. got to work, then wait a minute, this isn't going like, oh, like we planned. I'm, I'm not actually healed. Like, okay. <laughs> so I went to see a neuropsychologist after that. And um, two things she said to me. One was, you know, had you been my patient before you went to back to work, I would have told you that you weren't ready to go back to work. And I looked at her and I said, and I would have laughed at you and done whatever I wanted anyway, and had to have found out the hard way. And she's like, I can see that. <laughs> and, and she said, but recovering from a brain injury is different than recovering from a physical injury, um, which I had those too, but like she said, your physical injuries, you know, when to stop because your hand hurts or, you know, you've done something right. Like, so you, your body says, ow, it hurts for a brain injury. The only thing it has is fatigue. Right. And I have made it my life's mission to push past fatigue <laughs> my whole life. So like to know that that was not going to work anymore was really overwhelming for me. Um, so I had to work really hard to come to terms with needing to rest and listening to the exhaustion in my head, not just physical pain to go, all right, yeah, I did too much. And to learn what my triggers were, like, what is it? What activity is going to cause me the most brain fatigue? Can I one, either avoid it or two, build in time around it so that I can have adequate rest, right? So for instance, every summer, pretty much the kids and I drive to Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, and that's about three, four hours away. Um, and 
it's very, very stressful for me. Um, it, it, driving in general on highways is very stressful. In fact, I don't drive anywhere with women in my passenger seat. My kids, for some reason, I'm okay. But because in my accident, my coworker, Emily, was in the car with me, I do not like to drive another woman. And, you know, if my friends and I are going someplace together, like a girl's trip, I'll say, I'm happy to pay for gas. Someone else is going to have to drive. Um, and you will all be grateful for that. <laughs> because I can then get to where I'm going and be relaxed and not because I'm not stressed out if somebody else is driving. I'm stressed out if I'm driving because mm. I was driving in that accident. Um, but anytime driving on the highway, if there are a lot of um, big trucks, I, I know that that is a trigger for me and that I will have to give myself adequate time to rest after that in order to be able to function appropriately the next day or you know it, so it depends on like I've had to learn like how much time is this going to take right so if it's a three-hour drive probably going to be a half a day before I'm feeling like I'm okay and I'm gonna have to rest that half a day and like sit around and maybe chat with people but not not um you know like boat or swim in the lake or whatever like that's too much mm -hmm. too much so if I can find somebody else to drive for me I always I always choose that um but you know if I have to drive then I do and I just have to make accommodations for myself so I have learned over time when and where and how to make those accommodations. Okay. So, so what did you do to help yourself overcome the depression that you were dealing with at that time also? Not just the so, trauma responses with the fatigue and that, but the, the emotional yeah. depression part of it. How did you overcome that? So, um, so that's been a lifelong journey. Um, but in the beginning, when I got home, I started writing. Mm. And I, so I wrote a blog. And, you know, my mom had done the Caring Bridge posts. And so people like I already had an audience, which I didn't even care about. I just wanted to write about what I was feeling and how things were going. And, and that was my way of processing everything. Um, and my thoughts were always, if I can process these really difficult moments in my life, maybe, and, and then I'm sharing them with the world, I mean, or however many people are reading this, if one person finds a nugget of, something that can help them and provide them hope in whatever struggle they're having, then it is worth it to me to be vulnerable in this way, you know? Um, so writing 
really, really helped. Um, over the years, I have started meditating, which has been a huge help. Um, I'm up to like 30 minutes a day, which for somebody who didn't know how to rest, even like five minutes, that was a long process to be able, like I started with a minute of meditation. <laughs> yeah. like That's how I started of, with one minute. Yeah, yeah like I, you, I, I'm not as like to sit still for 30 minutes and like clear my mind. Are you kidding? <laughs> but I can do it now. And it has made a tremendous difference in my physical and mental well-being. Um, I work out a ton, um, because I always, I always say that exercise for me is my sanity. Um, and exercise that releases endorphins. So you're getting, mm -hmm. you're getting hormones to help you be yeah. happier. And, <laughs> and that was a really hard thing too, with, you know, again, while I was in the hospital, it didn't really register that I wasn't exercising every day, right? Because I was getting better. But then mm -hmm. when I got home, I had to very, very slowly get back into working out. And it was months. And, you know, I worked out five or six times a week. Like it was hard for <laughs> For me to not exercise and then I would have like another surgery and so then I'd have to take two or three weeks off and and that was really difficult so you know physical movement has always been something that that has helped my mental health um mm -hmm. you know I've done a lot of restorative yoga too which is a lot like meditation, but you know, in different poses and but really, really slow. And again, pushing against my grain of all right, I am purposefully slowing down. <laughs> like intention. Is, yeah. Intention, being intentional. Yeah. And and that's that's hard. It is hard for me to slow down. It still is. I have to like stop myself even now and go. You really don't need to be doing all the things all the time all at once like, <laughs> reminders yeah. self-reminders yeah. yeah right exactly so you know those things have been really beneficial acupuncture has been amazing both for my physical and mental health mm -hmm. um you know it, again i am forced for 30 minutes to rest every week <laughs> Cause I've got needles in me and I'm not moving. <laughs> right? so, so like it, it helps with the pain in my hand, but it also like allows me to connect with my body. And, you know, it's, I talk about it with my acupuncturist before my session. So, you know, she knows what's been going on with me. And if I'm super stressed out, she'll tweak things a little bit. Or if, you know, my hand hurts, really badly I will focus on that you know so it has been nice in that I can communicate these things um but also the forced rest 
<laughs> and, and now it's like my favorite part of the week. So I feel like maybe I've turned a corner on the resting thing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, that so. is awesome. It is very productive. We do need rest. And then how much we need sleep. <clears throat> People don't yeah. realize how beneficial, how necessary sleep is. <laughs> to our lives. So what is something that you want to make sure that the people remember from their time of listening to your story today? I would say the most important thing is that there's always hope. Um, You know, if you don't have support you know, with family and friends, like I did, I was, I know that I was very fortunate with that. And there are a lot of people who don't have that kind of very involved support. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important to make sure that you see a therapist or a coach or someone or a support group to talk to other people who have had traumatic experiences. Somebody who hasn't been through a trauma like that or like any kind of trauma has a hard time relating. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I remember part of the thing I had the worst time with was I always felt like I was a spectacle, you know, like mm-hmm. I was on display every time I would go somewhere and people, I would see people that I knew it was, Oh my God, you're such a miracle. And that to me just made me want to take 10 steps back. Um, <laughs> because I think a lot went into that miracle. Um, and also I didn't want that kind of attention. The kind of attention that I wanted was, oh, you've recovered and you are doing what you did before. Or you, you know, like I wanted recognition for how well I did my job or how well I raised my children. I didn't want recognition for something that wasn't just me, right? Like my recovery, yeah, I worked really, really hard on recovering, but I also had amazing surgeons. I had amazing doctors. I had amazing support. And it is very overwhelming to be given this like title (laughs) of miracle. And like, no, please no. So like, I think that that is important to acknowledge too, that sometimes people don't know what to say Mm -hmm. when you've had a trauma like that or any kind of trauma. People don't know what to say and that you have survived seems like a miracle, right? And the part that's difficult is being a miracle also seems like, oh, I'm fine now. But reality is I'm not fine now. I like still have to accommodate for these things. I still have to do all of these things in the background to make it look like I'm fine. So you calling me a miracle puts a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> and so I think that 
I'm not the only person to feel that way, right? Um, it's like wrapping you your know, head around what does that word mean to you? Right. And, you know, in another podcast interview I had recently, we paused and we we're talking about what the words mean. And he was talking about how how much we could change the world if people would discuss, well, what do you mean by that? When you say this, right. what do you mean by that? Well, you call me a miracle. What do you mean by that? My perception of that is this. Oh, well, I right. just mean this. It's like, well, maybe I'd rather you call it, you know, something else, some other word you right. come up with like that. So, and to talk and that your way was, through that, you know? Yeah. And, and that is a fabulous idea. And at that particular time, because I was just fairly new out of the hospital, I wasn't in a place to have those conversations. Oh, right, so right. like any place, <laughs> anytime I went someplace and there were a lot of people, I was so overwhelmed because everybody wanted to like, it was like they all wanted to touch me you know I was like the new baby right oh, <laughs> and I wow. just felt like lots of hugs and like oh my god it's so amazing and I'm like okay stop touching me <laughs> I need to go now and and I was not like it's one it's the same thing with my parents living at my house I was appreciative of mm -hmm. the well wishes and the gladness that I saw in people's faces that I'm alive and they're seeing me and all of these things. And it felt very heavy in expectation. Like, okay, what? So you're calling me a miracle and you're all happy I'm here. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? And, and I think I'm not the only person to go through that. Well, that's um, a good thing to bring up because it's not that probably a lot of people wouldn't think of that. Well, like you said, right. you have not been through that. So it's really good to bring up that one aspect of that for people to be maybe a little less intense. Yes. A and little that's less exactly intense. Maybe that's a good thing to say to people. <laughs> when you have someone in your life that is going through something, be a little less intense, maybe yeah, more or... gentle. And, you know, kind of like if you're going swimming, you know, a lot of times people, you know, there are those who will just jump in the pool, but a lot of times they stop and test the water. You know, right, how cold right. is this? Maybe test the water with the people who you're listening you know you have someone going through something yeah. test the water a little bit just say, hey how are you doing I'm, I'm really glad you're alive and how are you doing with this or just get a little somehow to test the water of how to respond in a way that would serve you instead of overwhelming you yes and I think that's what it was I mean some people certainly did ask me like how are you doing but I think in a larger scale, it was like, oh my God, you're doing so well. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, that's your story, not mine. But I was so overwhelmed that mm -hmm. I couldn't stop anyone and say, right. Hang it's on. You're, like, <laughs> you're putting a lot of pressure on me to be like completely well. And I'm not. Um, because I looked well, you know, mm -hmm. it's like somebody who has 
had a miscarriage or is a survivor of sexual abuse, you're not seeing that on the outside. Yeah, yeah you I don't mean, see that. <laughs> you don't see that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think nobody really knows what's going on in another person unless yeah. they tell you they're open to to asking and paying attention to social cues and knowing like not being intense right like being very gentle like oh I know you've had a really hard time do you want to talk about it and then sometimes the answer is no yeah and and that's okay yeah because you may want to talk about it (laughs) and you may want to talk about it six months from now, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're in a different place, knowing that that one person reached out to you and said, hey, um, I'm here if you want to talk, but I'm not going to pressure you to tell me about like how you're a miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. You have a book that you're working on. Is it about this specific situation you've is. been through? It, oh, it is actually. When um, can we expect called- that? Um, it is called Trauma is a Catalyst, and I'm hoping it'll be out in January. We just did the first round of edits, mm. so um, I, I'm, like, eagerly awaiting next steps. Um, so, it, and it is, it is, um, it, the book is broken up into three parts. The first part is actually my mom's journal entries in to Caring Bridge, um, and then the second part is my blog from when I was initially healing and how I processed through everything then. And then the third part is now, Um, you know, how I have adjusted and nine years later, looking back on it, how how have I come through all of this? Yeah, how have Um, you taken ownership and gotten to where you are now over these nine years that you're you're doing so much better and you're still working on stuff you had told me. So yeah, you're, you're still a absolutely. work in progress. Then we're all a work in progress in some way. Right, right. <laughs> absolutely. And so how can know, people I, connect with you? Um, so people can connect with me um, through my website, which is www.nomisadvisors.com. Um, and you can schedule a coffee or, um, I, I am a coach and I am working with trauma survivors, um, to kind of help people go from that, where you were before the trauma to where you are now and where you want to be. So like building that roadmap and, and, um, supporting people through that journey from somebody who, who knows what surviving trauma is um, and how hard of a process that is. Um, So, yeah. And, and also people can, um, I just finished my first season of my podcast, Transformational Trauma and Healing. Um, So everyone can listen there. And that is actually, so the, the first one and like nine or 11 is my story, but all the others in there are uh, either other people's trauma stories um, and, and then them sharing how they came through their own survival. 
um, or resources, people who work with trauma survivors. Um, so like my acupuncturist is on there and, um, you know, my speech therapist from when I was, I was um, going through the, uh, in the hospital. Um, but then I have like, I've had someone who survived a terrorist attack. I've had um, a woman with a child in the NICU. I've had um, all kinds of trauma survivors on there. And so it's been really wonderful for me to get to share those stories with a greater population. Um, not just share my story, but share other people's stories. Because again, the same, the same thing is important with sharing my stories, with sharing other stories, is if we can provide hope and recognition you know like oh somebody has been through something similar to me or somebody mm -hmm. struggled in the same way even though our trauma was different mm -hmm. if somebody can gain just a small nugget of hope from the listening to those stories then everything i'm doing is worth it <laughs> amen before we sign off here, tell us what's the name of your podcast again? My podcast is Transformational Trauma and Healing, and it can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, any of the where you get your podcast material. Um, and then my book coming up is Trauma is a Catalyst. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being with us today and sharing your story and these nuggets of wisdom of how to help people through their trauma. And so thank you listeners for being with us today. And so until next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further, so please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you. <laughs>